Well, if you guys have been with us in the book of Hebrews, you know that there's been a lot of discussion about just the greatness of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. Most of chapters 1 through 10 were about the sufficiency of Jesus, what he's done, who he is. Um, and then in verse 11, we see this hall of faith, this cloud of witnesses that surrounds us, almost this picture of the, the Old Testament heroes kind of having run their part of the race and now cheering us on. And then in chapter 12, the, the tone of the book of Hebrews really shifts. It shifts away from focus on who Jesus is and what he's done and to how we should live in light of that, like what we should do in response to it. I've got a real good friend named Chris Lewis. I don't think he's uh, here this morning, but Chris is a really good friend of mine. We've done a lot of work projects together where it's my house, his house, or someone else, right? Just trying to tackle things, get things done. And one of the things Chris loves to say when it's time to actually stop talking and start actually doing the work, um, he likes to say, all right, nothing to it but to do it. Just kind of his phrase. He says, I'm the type of guy that, you know, after we kind of decide how we're going to do it, what the game plan is, I need a couple minutes to kind of sit there and process the beating that we're about to endure. Like one time we uh, put a radiant barrier in all of his attic and uh, we did that together. I just need a minute to kind of prepare myself for that. And he's just like, nope, we've said the things, we've made the plan, let's go. Now it feels like the tone of chapter 12. It's like, here's what Jesus has done. He's sufficient. He's better in every way than the old covenant. He's given us everything we need. Now let's go. And to that end, there's actually in this passage, four verbs. So we're going to kind of make that our outline, four action words, four things that the writer of Hebrews says, now do this. But before we get into that, I don't want to run past the first 10 chapters. I know we've been talking about it for a long time, but if we don't understand those commands in light of the first 10 to 11 chapters, we run the risk of thinking we can accomplish those things on our own, that this is just a white knuckle it, bear down and get after it kind of thing. And there is a sense in which it's that, but it's all done in the context of, in light of the greatness of Jesus and the reflection of that and how we live. So just to kind of summarize what we've seen in chapters 1 through 11. Number one, that Jesus is a better mediator, priest, and sacrifice. So all these commands are being given after this big explanation that, look, there was the old way of doing things in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, before Jesus came. Um, and that, that covenant, it was conveyed to man by angels and by prophets. But the author of Hebrews is saying Jesus is a better mediator. He isn't just telling us what God has said. He is God, having taken on flesh, come to earth to live as God in front of us, with us, and relay God's commands firsthand to us. He's a better priest. The priests in the Old Covenant were always working. They never got to sit down. They were always on their feet because their work was never finished. They had to deal not only with other people's sins, but atone for their own sins. And so they were beset with weakness. They couldn't really fully execute the office of priest because they weren't worthy to do so. But Jesus has come and he is a better priest. He has done what they could not. Then he talks about sacrifices that Jesus, as our better priest, offers himself as the better, the better sacrifice. One of the reasons the priests were always busy, busy is they were constantly having to kill more animals because those sacrifices weren't sufficient. They weren't fully atoning for sin the way that it needed to be done. And they were really just pointing to the great sacrifice that was to come, Jesus, 
the Lamb of God who came and died in our place, fully paying the price for our sins so that we could be completely forgiven and reconciled back to God. So he says, Jesus is a better mediator, priest, and sacrifice. He also talks a lot, sprinkled in through chapters 1 through 10, about how endurance is needed, that we have to keep hanging on to him. We can't go back to trying to earn righteousness through the ways of the old covenant under the law, but we have to keep enduring in our faith. And he talks about in chapter 11, this hall of faith, that we're the anchor leg. You guys know what an anchor leg is? If you don't, in a, in a track event called the Mile Relay, Basically, four laps are run around the track. And one person runs a lap, they hand the baton off. The next person runs, they hand the baton off. All the way down to the fourth person, the anchor leg, the last person to finish the race. And that's kind of the picture we get in the book of Hebrews. In chapter 1, verse 2, the author says this. Long ago, or verse 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In other words, we are living in what we would call the last days. That you've got this cloud of people, this cloud of witnesses, this group of heroes who have run the race of faith before us. And the baton has now been passed to us. And they have shown what it looks like to follow God in faithfulness and the results of that. And now it's our turn. So because we are in that, because we are the anchor leg of this legacy of faith, and because the sufferings we face are aimed to refine us. We talked about that last week, um, a little bit earlier in chapter 12, that God disciplines us. God brings these difficulties and these refining situations and moments to our lives, not because he's some sadistic God who wants to make our lives more difficult, because he's using those things to refine us, to call us back to him. And because of all that, the author then gives us these four verbs. So we're just going to walk through them. There's basically almost one verb per verse here. And so the first one is in chapter 12, verse 12, and it says this, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. We could summarize that by saying, lift yourself up. And so as we move forward, I want to give us a, a quick caution. As a good, Crosspoint is a, um, is a good um, Bible-believing gospel-centered church who understands, if you've been coming here a while, or at least you've heard the idea that no one can make themselves righteous before God by their own power. No one can make up for the sins they've committed. That the only way for us to be approved by God, to be adopted as his sons and daughters, is not by trying really hard or doing a lot of good things. All those things fall short. The only way for us to truly be God's sons and daughters is to be adopted through the gospel by believing that Jesus came and died in our place and took the punishment for our sins and gave us his righteousness so that we could be reconciled to God. Now, if we're not careful, we can get so fixated on that idea that we get kind of tunnel vision and we begin to ignore the parts of Scripture that talk about the part we play in our growth and holiness. That there really is a part we play in us becoming more like Christ once we have been saved and reconciled back to God. It is not this deal where we've jumped on the Jesus tube and now the lazy river just kind of takes us through this process of sanctification while we just lay there and watch it happen. We have a part to play. And in many ways we are swimming upstream against a culture that wants to push us and pull us away from the things of God. So he says, lift yourself up. 
In other words, we could, we could say it this way, that you can do this. And when I, when I think about this idea of, of lift yourself up, I don't know about you, but I immediately think of sports, right? Um, I used to play a lot of sports back when I was in high school. And I know you probably look at me and you think, man, that guy, he doesn't look very athletic. He doesn't look very strong. I don't know how he played sports. Man, if you would have seen me in high school, I was even less athletic and less strong back then. Um, but I did play a lot of sports, and that's just a common theme. I think that's why a lot of parents like to have their kids in sports is because you learn how to reach a point where you feel like you cannot take another step, where you feel like you can't go any further, that you've exhausted your resources. You have tapped the bottom of your strength and energy, and you got to do one more lap. And you're able to reach down and find strength to do more than you ever thought you could do. And I think that's kind of the tone we get here of you have drooping hands. You're exhausted. You're worn out and weak knees. You feel like you're spent. You can't take another step. Here's the encouragement. Lift yourself up. You can do it. Friends, the, I think sometimes we think the phrase you can do it has no place in Christianity because it, I mean, it sounds a little unspiritual, but it, it very much does. Like, it's very appropriate for us to tell each other in times of difficulty and trials, hey, you can do this, right? Because of what Jesus has done, through the power of the gospel, through the Holy Spirit living in you, in light of the fact that you were God's son or daughter, you can do this. You can make it through this thing. So what does that look like? I think how we answer that depends a lot on what we're going through at the time. So try to personalize this with me. Try to think, what are the ways that this applies to my life right now? What are the things in my life that I've been through recently or I'm going through now or I might be going through in the future that are going to cause me to think, I don't think I can make it. I don't think I can press through. I don't think I can continue on in faithfulness. Maybe it's the death of a family member. We all know how traumatic and how difficult that can be when we lose a loved one, especially to a death that seems too early. And it can be tempting to think, man, how, how can I ever move past this? How can I continue on? I don't feel like I can go another step. This thing is so crippling. It's so emotionally draining. It's, I cared about it so much. It feels like part of all of my life has been removed from me. I, I don't feel like I can take another step forward. And the writer of Hebrews would say, lift yourself up. You can get through this. The Lord will see you through this difficult time. It may take a while. There may be some grieving. It may be a very long, painful road. But you can endure. You can press through. And God will see you through this difficult time. Maybe it's a, you're a family who's struggling with infertility. And you have so many of your hopes and dreams wrapped up in this idea of having children and what that looks like and what your life will be. And there's roadblocks and there's things along the way and you're tempted to be discouraged and it's making you question things about your faith. The writer of Hebrews would say, hey, lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your knees, press in, continue trusting the Lord, continue seeking the Lord in this time. You can do it. You can press through and trust the Lord even in the midst of this thing. Maybe it's a besetting sin. Maybe you've got some sin in your life that you have been battling this sin for years. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how many sermons you hear about it, no matter how fervently and emotionally you hit your knees and pray about it, it keeps 
coming up. You can't seem to shake it. You can't seem to kick it. And you say, Kai, yeah, Kai, I know. I've been saying that for 20 years. I just have to learn to live with this thing. You don't, friends. He says, look, you have a part to play in this. Whether or not you overcome that sin, a lot of that comes down to you. Yes, it's by the power of the Spirit. Yes, it's because of what Jesus has done for you through the gospel. But it comes down to what you will do, how hard you try. Lift yourself up and get after it. The scriptures say his mercies are made new every morning. That God gives us the mercies we need to make it through each day and they are renewed every single morning. So when you think of that sin that you think, how am I ever going to kick this thing? I've been struggling with it for 15, 20 years. The question isn't, can you make it through the next year? It's, can you make it through today? And tomorrow his mercies will be made, made new and you will set your face towards obedience in that thing tomorrow. But if we keep waiting for God to just remove the desire, right, to supernaturally just make that thing go away, to make that thing disappear, we absolve ourselves of the responsibility where the author of Hebrews is saying, no, when it gets hard, when you feel like you can't fight that battle anymore, you can. Lift yourself up. Strengthen your weak knees and get after it. And we know that this is helping us become the person that God wants us to be. We know that if you've ever done, again, athletics, anything that's really pushed you to your limit physically, you know that it's in those moments where you hit the wall, you feel like you can't go any further, that character is developed, that you begin to change, that you begin to become a different kind of person through persevering through those things. And I know that, I know that as a parent, sometimes I don't know where that line is for my kids, right? Sometimes my kids, whether it's you know, sports or anything, like they hit a wall and they're like, I can't do this, I can't lift this thing, I can't fix this thing, whatever it is. And I think, it. yes you can, let's go. When actually they, they really can't do that thing, they're unable to. Here's the cool thing, God is not a bad coach or a bad parent, right? He doesn't expect us to accomplish things or overcome obstacles that we truly cannot get over. It says that he will always leave us a way out and God will not allow temptation to overcome us to the point that we cannot complete our race through that obstacle. He is aware of what our limits are and will lead us in accordance with that. 1 Corinthians 9, 25, Paul uses this athletic imagery and he says it this way, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself will be disqualified. Guys, some of the translations will translate it this way. But Paul would say, I beat my body and I make it my slave. It's like I take hold of myself and I push myself into doing the things I know I need to do to follow Jesus. If you've done, again, any sort of athletics, you know how important training is. You just don't show up on game day and expect to shine just because you know, you're there and it's game day and you're just going to magically be better than you were yesterday. No, you know that part of being a good athlete is training on a daily basis. Even on the days where you have to wake up early, you do not want to get out of bed, but you drag yourself up and you do it anyways. And friends, I think some of the encouragement from this text could be just engaging the daily habits of following Jesus, right? That maybe you're a place where you're not doing that right now. Maybe you were in a place where you used to be. You used to be getting up in the morning, 
spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, making it a habit, giving yourself to those things, dedicating yourself, disciplining yourself in that. And maybe you've moved away from that. Maybe this morning would be the time that you would hear this encouragement to say, no, lift yourself up and do it. Get after it. There's nothing to it but to do it. You want that, right? You want to know Jesus more. You want to be conformed to his image. You want to experience the life he has for you in close fellowship and community with him, walking through the, the trials and, um, and events of life with you in close community, get after it. Discipline yourself to get up and seek the Lord's face on a daily basis so that as these things happen and come, he is walking through it with you and you're aware of his presence as you move through life. So he says, lift yourself up. The second verb as he says, make straight your paths. Verse 13, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Make straight paths for your feet. Um, I was thinking about this and the idea of making a straight path. And um, I uh, had the opportunity to do like a kind of self-guided elk hunt last year and went to this place in Colorado I'd never been to before in my life. It was just me and my backpack. You know, no one else out there knew me. So I'm going out and um, it was so cold. I would get up in the morning. It was like single digits. And uh, one of the things I had to learn was that I had my, my camelback. So like a, like a reservoir of water with a straw that comes out here. So you don't have to like pull a water bottle every time you want to drink. And so I'm, I'm, there's this area I wanted to go to. It was like three miles away from my truck. So I parked started over to this canyon, wanted to see if there were any elk there. It turns out I'm really bad at finding elk. Um, but so I went to this area, I think maybe there'd be some elk in this canyon. Um, I, I start to walk and I realize my water is actually frozen, like the, the tube and everything. Like I'm like, well, I know it's going to warm up, no big deal. So I keep going. Um, I get out to the, I just kind of forget about it. And it's, it'll thaw when, it's, you know, when it gets warm. I get to the area, I scout it out, I spend some time looking. I'm like, all right. It's getting hot now, right? It just goes from super cold to like, you know, up in the 80s and really dry. So all of a sudden you're having to shed layers. You're getting hot. Like, I need a drink, man. I got a, I got a long walk about. I suck on that thing and it is completely empty other than what was in the straw. And I'm like, man, I'm like three miles away from my truck. It's hot. It's dry. Like, I know I'm not like in grave danger or anything, but I'm starting to think I need to make sure to make a very straight line back to my truck, right? So I've got my GPS, so I'll kind of like, okay, I want to go here. I'll kind of find a midpoint. I'll go. I keep looking just to make sure I'm not taking a windy road back to my truck because I know I'm probably fine, but I'm a little nervous about that, right? And that's kind of the, the imagery I think he's getting at here is like, have a focus to go, you know where we want to be, right? That following Jesus means I want to be conformed to his image, to follow him, to know him above all else. It's that same language from early in chapter 12 of cast aside all the weight and all the sin that threatens to entangle us. Set that aside and focus solely on what matters. Knowing Jesus, making him known, following him, right? And so to have a rifle focus in that one direction and not be distracted, not wander off into all these other little things because friends that following Jesus is not some it's not like some two mile short easy hike where you're you know you know you're just gonna walk around see some things and come back and you're not worried about anything it's a it's a long path and there are dangers um, and so the idea of setting your sights forward and and finding where you're supposed to be headed and not letting yourself be distracted by things is a lot like the book Pilgrim's Progress because 
have read that book or heard about it, where this guy is trying to go on his journey to the celestial city, which is his path of following Jesus, of enduring in faith. And all along the way, he encounters people and cities and circumstances and topography that threatens to kind of pull him aside, pull him off the path and shipwreck his faith and end his journey before he reaches the celestial city. And this is the encouragement to make straight your path, to focus primarily on the person of Jesus, being faithful to him and not getting distracted by all these little things that would draw our attention away. So let me just give you one application point. I feel like most of the time we preach up here, we talk to adults because most of us who preach are adults. And so we're going through adult struggles and adult life things. Let me talk to the students in the room, okay? If you're still in high school or below high school, I want to just maybe give you one bit of application. This way this might apply to you, okay? This isn't directly what the scripture is saying, but one way that it might apply might be that it it might affect your view of dating. Here's what I mean by that. A lot of what happens when you get into high school is that you're getting to a point where you're ready to move forward in relationships with people. You're ready to maybe have a boyfriend or maybe have a girlfriend, and you can move into those relationships if you're not careful with zero intention if that relationship actually being something that moves towards marriage. We call that recreational dating where you just, you don't have any intent of marrying this person, of going the distance with them, but yet you unite yourself to them. You become one, you start sharing physical affection, you start acting as though the two of you are together in a unit, knowing that that's probably just gonna end. Friends, what you're doing is you're taking what could be a very straight path right now of obedience of what it means to pursue and follow the Lord, and you're making that path very crooked. And you're moving into some things that, if we're really honest, have a lot more potential to do you harm than to do you any good. And so I would just encourage you with that. If you're a student and you're not ready to really move towards marriage, to, man, not, not pursue connections prematurely, with people of the opposite gender that are going to lead you into these being united and acting like the two of you are one when you're not yet, you're not ready for that, that has so much potential to just distract you and move you away and potentially lead you down into some sin struggles. For what? Right now, you're at a time in your life where your life is kind of simple, if we're being real honest. You're not spinning a lot of plates. You're not juggling a lot of responsibilities compared to what you probably will be once you enter adulthood. You have a very direct straight path to pursue and know and follow Jesus right now and develop your relationship and intimacy with him. And that recreational dating aspect, although it may seem tempting and it may seem like something nice to add to your plate, has so much potential if you're not ready to really move towards marriage to draw you away. And he's saying in today's text, make straight your path, do whatever you have to do to eliminate things from your life that distract you and draw you away from your pursuit of knowing and following the Lord. And then thirdly, strive. It's the third verb we see here is strive. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So you strive for two things. Number one, peace with everyone. In other words, don't get, it's kind of what we were just talking about, right? don't get entangled in lots of little, um, little arguments or little, Uh, pieces of drama that would distract you from following God, but strive, push forward to know the Lord. And by doing so, strive for peace with everyone so that it would not distract you from your pursuit of the Lord. 
So he says, strive for peace for everyone and strive for holiness. When we talk about holiness, what we mean is it's one of those church words we don't often take the time to stop and define. So real quick, holiness just means God's otherness. It's, it's not his majesty, his love, his uh, generosity, um, his gentleness, his patience, his justice. It's not any of those things. It's the degree to which he holds all of those things in a way that transcends anything on this earth. It's the fact that he is all those things to the degree that it makes him unlike anything else that exists. He is other. He is in a category all by himself. And he's saying that we should strive towards that. We should strive to be like God in that way. And let me just say this, and we'll move on to the fourth point, but I I love that Zach and Jean Thomas are teaching that class. I'd encourage you to jump in, especially if you do have a besetting sin or something that you just feel like you're kind of stuck in a rut and you can't get through it. Because what this is telling us is strive, work hard, and you can. You can change. You can get through those things. Friends, salvation is just the beginning line for us, not the finish line, right? What, what God wants to do for us through the work of Jesus is not just bring us back to himself and make us his sons and daughters, but then make us like his sons and daughters, make us into his image, make us more holy, more like he is as we journey through this life. And part of what that means is that he expects us to move and push and strive and work hard to move ourselves in that direction. And then fourthly, he kind of shifts. If you think about the first three um, verbs here, The first one is to lift yourself up, right? Pick yourself up. Let's go. You can do this. The next one is to make a straight path. Focus and move straight forward. Don't let yourself get distracted. Um, The third is to strive, to work hard, to push in those things. And then he shifts it. There's a, a fourth verb in this passage. Verse 15, he says this, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So do you see what he's doing now? He's shifting the focus from inward to outward. He's saying, you do these things. You, you make your path straight. You pick yourself up. You strive. And also, make sure that none of your brothers and sisters stray off into some sort of sin um, that would debilitate them, that would take them away from the Lord. I love the way Paul says this in Galatians 6.1. He says this, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I love that little caveat in a spirit of gentleness because what he's saying is, look, we're not talking about us all going on a witch hunt to identify and condemn each other's sin. We're not talking about a spirit of critical attitude where we're always looking and criticizing where each other struggle. What we're talking about is recognizing when a brother or sister is pursuing and going after something that truly is leading them away from Jesus and threatens to ruin their faith, that we would step in and do something about it. Oftentimes we have this um, phrase that comes to our mind. I don't know if you've said this or heard this. We think about someone else's struggle and what they're doing and something that we see our brother or sister doing, we know that that doesn't honor God, that that is threatening to pull them away from the Lord. And we say, well, that's, that's between him and God. That, that thing that he's doing, he's, he's making this decision, he's doing this thing, well, that's, that's between her and God. Show me that verse. <laughs> like, 
Everything in our scripture says the exact opposite of that. That is not just between him and God. That is not a him thing or a she thing. That is a we thing. That is an us thing. That is us looking at that person and going, no, I'm responsible not just for my own striving and my own straight path, but I'm responsible for those around me to keep them on the straight path. Friends, the way we do that here at Crosspoint is through small groups. And so if you're not in a small group yet and you've been coming for all, I would really encourage you to take that step to join one of our community groups so that you can be surrounded by people who are committing to watch each other and bring each other back when they see those sorts of things start creeping in. James 5.19 says it this way, even more strongly. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So he tells them to make sure of a couple things, to look outside themselves and make sure, number one, that no one goes astray, and number two, that nobody leads others astray. Because I think there can be this sense that like, well, man, if someone's wandering off and I... I move in and I correct them and I point this out or I encourage them to move back. Well, what if they get bitter and leave? Well, look, they were, they were already on that path anyways. So if someone wanders away from the Lord at this church, at Cross Point Community Church, and they eventually leave the church or leave the faith because they continue pursuing that thing, friends, let it not be because we sat passively by and watched it happen. And if we step in and offer correction and they reject that and they keep going in that same direction, at least we tried, right? At least we tried to correct and steer our brother and sister back towards truth. But let that not happen unnoticed and without any effort on our part. Because the danger is not just for that person. The danger is that if they continue in that, others would be affected and others would be led astray. So it's not just protection for that person, but for the entire body. So as we wrap up, I just want to walk back through, summarize this whole thing, starting with why we're doing all this, where that power, where that motivation comes from. Because Jesus is a better mediator, priest, and sacrifice, and because endurance is needed, and because we are the anchor leg, we even pass the baton of faith with this great cloud of witnesses watching and encouraging And because the sufferings we face are aimed not to destroy us, but to define and refine us, let us press on to know and follow Jesus, individually and corporately. Let us be a people that when we get stuck, and when we get to a point where we feel like we can't go any further, that we lift ourselves up, that we say no and we dig deep and we press through the difficulty, trusting Jesus. Let us make our path straight. Let us remember every day what the real purpose and meaning of life is of knowing God, following him, making him known, and push aside the things that want to distract us or derail us from that. Let us strive for peace among ourselves and towards holiness. Let us strive to become who God wants us to be, that we might walk in the fullness of his holiness, of being like him and enjoying his presence as we encounter every obstacle and occurrence in life. And lastly, let us see to it that if anyone else in our body is going astray, is chasing things that we know are destructive for them or for others, let us see to it that they do not continue on that path or at the very least that we have warned them and told them not to So that if that does happen, it's not because we sit passively by 
and watched it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this text, and I just pray that it would motivate us. Just everything in the tone of this to me is so, let's go, let's do this motivational. So pray that that's what we would walk away with. That God, if there's whatever obstacles people in this room may have right now, that they feel like they can't get past, that they can't kick or they can't overcome. God, would this text encourage us to know that, yes, we can, because of what you've done and because we have your spirit, that we really can change. We can be different. We can press forward. We can get through. We can overcome because of your cross and by your spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.